Welcome to Sports Performance Radio, the science of athletic excellence. Bad over here, sipping on some coffee, and ready to ready to chat about strength. So that's always over a good start. here. That's a quick elaborate. That is the absolute opposite coast that I am on. I am uh, about three miles from the eastern seaboard, and you're about the equal distance from the western one. Yes. Yeah, just about. <laughs> that's weird. That is very weird. Very cool. The year in yeah. strength. Pat, where do you want to go with this? What do you want to talk about? Um. Well, I mean, I guess we could start. Start a year ago and, and kind of move up towards today. Um, you know, we left things off. Uh, I must have been right before, or right after that. The power meet where basically we had talked about how I was approaching that as just a time to just you know we always talk about just getting overly strong, and the idea was to just kind of cap it off with the powerlifting meet and going into um, strongman nationals and and worlds and. You know, I think that uh, that in and of itself was was a good thing to do. Uh, especially, I had a conversation with somebody recently that that uh, that told me I'm, I'm, I can be a bit of a contest whore. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, probably a good idea to. There's no shame in that. There's no, no shame no. in that. You know, not. A, I don't think so either. I mean, I just you know, I love to compete. Competition is fun, and I like the the testing. But uh, but what. What really? I, I I I actually take that as a as a high compliment. I mean, I used to, I you know, high school and college, I had a girlfriend who was just a dirty bitch, and the bottom line was she would just look me in the eye and say, you know what, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, that's more than enough. That justifies the means. Well, I mean, the, what what really kind of spoke to me actually is, I think I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I think I've listened to your episode with my friend Alex Harrison probably a half a dozen times. And there's just there's one part in particular that just really spoke out to me when he's talking about um, track and field, you know, always trying to train at the velocities they need to compete in and never and, and they're getting away from the whole idea of just blocking out times to dedicate to one thing and don't worry about the other things like 
Like he says something like, and who cares if you can't throw your best in October when nothing matters? And I, and, and after, and after talking with you, I mean, that's, that's really how I felt. That was the, that was the issue I had with competing so frequently. That was the only issue I had with competing so frequently and it, you know, it it was appropriately said. So, um, you know, I've got no shame in competing frequently. I just need to take time to get better in other areas. I agree with you entirely. And I have to say, you, you, you set me up with Alex and I have to say, wow, did we hit it off. He and I, have arrived at very, very similar thoughts, attitudes, and actions, having a pro- having gone through entirely different learning processes to get to them, which I, I find fascinating and interesting and very reinforcing. To me, that to me that really reinforces that that is probably valid. If you can get there by two entirely different routes, it's a real place to be. Yeah, um, I and I, I, and I have to say that um, my lens through which I see all this is typically powerlifting, and I just can't help but remember something Fred Hatfield told me, almost in a, you know, condescending, pontificating type of way, but he he meant it with the best of intentions, and that is, the things you do to get strong have almost nothing in common with the things you must do to prove how strong you are. (laughs) And God damn it, it rings true like a bell. Competing is cool and it proves you're strong, but it doesn't do nuts for your strength. Right, right. <laughs> yep, that makes absolute sense. Sure it does. I mean, sure oh, it does. It. It's just, yep. it's so simple and stupid. But, you know, as Alex said, you know, there's college coaches having people fucking balancing on balls and doing cat and hat bullshit when they should be fucking squatting and pressing and getting strong. Oh, uh, believe me, I've, I've, I'm seeing it. I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I don't know if we want to touch on that. That's a phone conversation we had a few weeks ago, my friend. I don't know yeah, if we yeah. want to rub that sore, but God, I, oh, I feel your pain. Um, I really do. Yeah. No, I mean, and I have to tell you, calling me, calling me for solace is probably a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was for for, for solace or, or just the maybe the fact that I I'm I I was like man I have a feeling I'm right in my thought process and I just need somebody to validate it and if there's somebody that's gonna get on this bandwagon and and and, and freak out with me <laughs> um it'd be it'd be you and I was yeah how about oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I'm but, you know what I mean I I certainly um expected you to be on board with Alex's podcast and and all you listeners if you somehow managed to miss that episode please go back a few months and listen um Alex Harrison you know PhD candidate Olympic athlete you know probably going to the Olympics you know like medals and real deal um the man knows what he's talking about when it comes to speed and force production and uh you ought to listen because it's probably not what you think it is yeah, I'd say go and listen to it twice. Go listen to it once just to enjoy it and listen to it for what it is, and then listen to it a second time with a pen and paper and and, and write some shit down and get smarter. Cause, I mean, yeah, between that and the two the two podcasts that Lyle McDonald laid on me, dear God. Oh yeah, what a wealth of information on on those two alone. Um, <laughs> I love Lyle to death, but talking to him is actually burdensome. The man is so smart and has so much material just on, just in his pocket, just on the top of his head, that you're just literally it's just a landslide, just a, 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 a tidal wave of of just facts, figures, numbers, 
studies and things, and you're just, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not accustomed to seeming like a child on the other end of the phone, but that's how it is with Lyle. Yep. It's, uh, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, so much of, of what I feel like I see people doing nowadays or hear about, it's like, oh my gosh, it's this, it's this new thing, it's this great, you know, whatever, blah, 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 and I'm just thinking to myself, like, that's not even new, that's been around forever, you just probably didn't understand it the first few times around until somebody came and dumbed it down for you into something that you could understand, and it's, you know, I'm waiting for some of some of wild stuff to basically have that same effect. I'm waiting for somebody to, like, take everything that that guy puts down on words and be like, do you understand this? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, not, it's not super complicated. It's been around for a long time. You just weren't paying attention. <laughs> it's frightening how simple concepts are not understood. Like, I understand that you or anyone else might not understand a point of biochemistry or, or some some elaborate concept in pharmacology or like I, I I make concessions for that. Like people don't understand that and it and it's understandable. Sure. But to not understand, oh I don't know, energy balance. Like how fucking dimwitted are you? Like if that gauge on the on your dashboard gets the E, your car fucking stops. Like that's energy balance. Like this is not complex. Nor is it outside the realms of regular people, but they act like it is. Yeah. They just they just really just act like it's completely news. Like really, there's a thing. Like I what? Yeah, I'm I'm just systematically dumbfounded by by what people don't understand. And and it's one of those things. Though, I feel like the more I learn and the smarter I get, the simpler my we'll say coaching or programming or, or anything of the sort related to fitness and and training. The simpler it gets. You know, I agree with you. Um, to a point. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a detail geek, and you well know that. And I, I think you, oh, sure. I think you exploit that, and 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 I appreciate that. But hmm. what I find my my um, the way I would articulate what you just said is what I find is the fundamental, let's say, eighty percent, hmm. is more and more simplistic every day. Energy balance, lift weights within a given range at a given frequency you know, at a given velocity, and that's fucking about it. Like, that's really, like, it. But what I find is that remaining 20% actually gets more and more complicated because I know more and more, I know that there's more and more I don't know. Sure. To me, that's what the intellectual process is, is figuring out how much you don't actually know. Yeah, that's that's a hard question to ask sometimes. Um, but it's, like a it's lot of guys one. walk around with this, just like I know this, 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 and this, and I walk around going, "Fuck, I don't know that. How do I not know that?" And I call people at four in the morning, and you know, Lyle, Lyle McDonald hangs up on me at three thirty in the morning because he just doesn't want to talk about you know cellular binding, <laughs> 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 you know that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> but, but I guess I guess where I was trying to to, to steer that was. It's, um, I think there needs to be a shift in focus for most people, um, but they're too concerned about that 20%, and they don't have the 80%. It's, it's you're, you're fucking worried about the frosting on the cake, and you don't even have a cake yet. It's so absolutely true. Absolutely. It's like people walking around the gym with, it's, it's, it's funny because it's just, this is in my crawl right now, but every freaking Nimrod 
is walking around the gym with a shaker cup full of some scientifically blended nonsense. And I'm like, you know, you don't need fuel until you've done some work. Right. Like, fuck you, put that down and go do something. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've got, I'm going to do these, you know, this super set with this contraption and this device and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be amazing. You're not even strong yet. Like, right. just, worry, just worry about just getting stronger with a fucking barbell. And, yeah, when it comes to, like, stuff like nutrition, it cracks me up. My people, like, they see me with a shaker cup. They're like, what, do you, what is that? Is that, you know, what's, what's your pre-workout? What's your cocktail of choice? Like, I had a cup of black coffee before I came to the gym. If it's a long workout and, you know, a, a really grueling one, I'll have a shaker cup with some carbs in it. And then I get done training, and then I go have more carbs. It's funny you say that, because I train at such a strange gym. Um, it's, it, it's first of all, I live in a very alternative uh, corner of the world. About 50% of the population is gay, which is neither here nor there, except that it sets an odd tone mm-hmm. in a gym. Sure. Secondly, about half the population of the gym is probably over 50. But yet, there's me and a number of other very hardcore competitive lifters. So it's a very weird mix of things. But having said all that, um, I get this question all the time. And the other day, I just, I I essentially snapped. But somebody asked me what my, you know, pre-workout, what do you, what do you, what do you have, or what's your pre-workout? Is it, you know, is it caffeine? Is it beta alanine? Is it what? I was like, no, it's getting up in the morning, asshole. (laughs) it's just like my first thought seriously my first thought is to look over my wife's ass and go woohoo and then go fuck I get to squat today those are the (laughs) same two thoughts go through my mind every day like you know that's my pre-workout it's like I'm awake now shit's gonna shit's gonna go on yep this this needing motivation in a capsule or a powder dude you're in the wrong sport if you need motivation from a potion, fucking get some plaid pants and play golf, fuckface. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, uh, no, don't, don't be in my way in the weight room. That's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like you could really say that about just about any sport. If you need motivation to go and do your sport, then why is that your sport? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I just. It's funny because I get the same question about aging. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm going to turn 45 here shortly. And I've been horribly injured and mangled. I'm a borderline cripple. And people are like, how do you find the motivation to keep doing this? How do you, you know, how do you not get a little depressed and you not want to do this? And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? I'm like, even if I was relegated to repeating workouts I did in the ninth grade, those were awesome! Dude, I, <laughs> dude they were great. I get goosebumps thinking about that. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? There's no aspect of lifting a barbell that's not going to just make me sprout fucking wood. I love it. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> I just don't understand the question. Yeah. No. The 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 way I train might be different, but I, there's there's no doubt in my mind I'll I'll be training and lifting a barbell till I die. Absolutely. I there's just it's exactly it's not a question. It's like it's like asking someone if they're still gonna eat food. Like are you yeah. fucking kidding? Yeah, that's, that's actually insanity. absolutely yep. insanity. Oh, let's see. Let's just try and add some vague structure to all this. <laughs> um you've been you've been along for the ride, you've been listening to the shows, you've been, you know, out competing and just kicking ass and going to foreign countries and so you are literally the man on the ground 
I'm just an asshole behind the desk, oftentimes behind a microphone. So let's just throw it out there and say, in the last year, and granted it's not a calendar year, but it's it's a year, in the last year since sports performance radio has been a thing, what are your thoughts on the high points of strength sports? What's what's the height of our world? Give me give me some thoughts. Um, I'm kind of going to go. I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to I'm going to start with some some lesser ones. Not to you know, say that they're less, but uh, I feel like the 500 kilo deadlift is obviously a huge topic. We'll just save that for last because that's that's it, right? Um, but going back, I'm thinking back to like things that really stood out to me this year. You know, I don't care. Uh, I, I know you and I have talked about it, but Zach Hodge being a middleweight pro and winning the amateur Arnold as a heavyweight, getting a show card and a chance to compete on the main stage against the pros next year. I mean, I don't care how you cut it. I don't care how you want to split it. But it's, it's an accomplishment that you, you, you have to recognize. Um, was it because of the events, because of the equipment, because of whatever? Like, it doesn't matter. Everybody had to do the same fucking thing. Honestly, like, do I want to see the strongest guy move on? Yeah, absolutely. Do I want to see the guy who's going to, you know, put the best package together for the main stage next year against the heavyweight pros? Yeah, absolutely. But under the conditions that they were, my hat's off to Zach Hodge. You're a freak. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Just I, I don't necessarily love the idea of such a little guy being buried in the big field that will be the Arnold Open, but to be able to pull that off is just so badass. You're, you're absolutely right. Like you're just like fucking tits. Like yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and as and as a and as an even smaller guy, I mean, how could I how could I not be stoked for him? I was there when it happened, and I remember talking to him uh, that evening. We were having dinner, and I love Zach. He's like, oh man, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can go through with it. I don't know if I can do it. I'm like, dude, why the hell not? They're gonna fly you out there, even if you take last place. There's still cash money. And it's an experience to say that you competed against those giants. You were the you were the guy on that stage with them. You gonna win? No, you're not gonna fucking win. But who cares? Like <laughs> exactly twenty what a, twenty people what a twenty people per year get to say I competed in the Arnold. So that you know, going back to March, that was that was huge. Um, I, actually, I'm gonna go back a little bit further. It just reminded me because I was thinking of other uh, middleweight pros or lightweight pros, whatever you want to call them. The 105K guys, my another good friend of mine, and another Zach, Zach McCarley going down to 90 kilos and just freaking mopping the floor at the 90 kilo world championships in Norway. He he kind of wreaked havoc, didn't he? <laughs> oh my god, it, he was just it literally like watching him. This is a this is a catch 22 kind of double sided sword thing. I love the guy to death. He's been one of my closest friends for a, a long time. And it sucks so bad sometimes to be with Zach. And it never really dawned on me until I was competing in the same weight class as him because I came up from 80. He came down from 105. We went to Norway together to compete at 90 kilos. And just watching him, and it literally looked like he was playing. Like, I think the only event that I really, truly saw him exert himself on was the car deadlift, but that thing was absurdly heavy. Um Everything else, it just looked like he was just just messing around out there. Like, just, it looked like he was putting on a show. It didn't look like he was competing. And I'm pretty sure he took first or tied for first in every single event except for that card that left. He took second, and that was out of eight events. 
That, that, that has to be the most dominant win at a world championship in Trotman ever. Probably. Yeah, it, it literally it probably. So. At, at least since the days of Kaz Meyer and, and World's Strongest Man. Yeah, yeah, literally. So, ridiculous. Just... Yeah, well, I'm going to throw in a kind of a general statement that's not necessarily connected to a specific person or specific event, but I have I have two of those, and one is just the general escalation of overhead pressing strength. <laughs> this year, yeah, the overhead press has gone fucking bananas. You have 105k guys doing 400 pound overhead presses. Yeah, I was I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> Why is that a thing? I mean, I remember when 105k guys had a hard time bench pressing 400 pounds. We have them now clean and pressing it. Yeah. That's kind of absurd. In yeah. a really awesome, sexy kind of way. I mean, right off the bat, I, mean, I know everybody would would recognize Rob Kearney, the you know the log championships. That was ridiculous. And then to follow it up, I know at Indianapolis when we had the North American Log and Deadlift Championships, in my in my honest opinion, I think just about everybody at that contest came out a little bit flat. I think probably maybe the conditions, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but it looked like across the board, everybody was a little bit flat, except for two that really stood out to me. One was uh, AJ Dirks, Adam Dirks, and his ridiculous pull, but then... The guy that I was with that whole weekend, uh, and another 105k pro, Sean DiMarini, no joke, no joke, like, push pressed a 400 log, and it looked like he, like, oh yeah, let me just use a little bit of legs really quick, I kind of forgot. Yeah, he could have stood on one foot while he was doing it. Yeah, and he, he came up to me afterwards and told me how hard it was, and like, it didn't look like it, dude, you just, the thing just came off your shoulders, like, no problem. And he also had a ridiculous deadlift that day too, but, you know, that's another one of those things where it's like a 105k guy just put up 400 pounds over his head. Yeah, the, the, the thought I keep having just over and over and over is we've got guys like Big Z who have just ever so slightly squeaked over 500 pounds. You know, what, what it's like 518 or something. And we've got guys literally, not exaggerating, literally 200 pounds lighter, 200 pounds in body weight lighter moving only 100 pounds less weight. That, to me, is just insanity. Yeah, kind of scary. <laughs> I, when, you, when you scale that in your mind, that just, it, it actually doesn't work. It just, you're like, now you, you can't be the same species. It just can't. It doesn't work that way. It, it, to me, that is one of the most amazing feats of modern strength, is, is what has gone on with the overhead press. I can't wait for, uh, I can't wait for myself to get on that program. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Well, we need to put a little body weight on you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to shake the hand of the 200-pound Pat Costelli because that's that's going to be a sight. God, me too. <laughs> that, that's going to be a sight. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens in the next year, but we'll get to that. Yeah, later. hope I'm not uh, giving anything away. But that's that. <laughs> no, no. We, hey, we'll we'll talk about it. It was a year in. A, this is supposed to be a year in review, and then we're we're done reviewing. Maybe we'll do some projection. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, another thing I want to throw out there as far as kind of a, just a generalized thing is um, the doping nonsense has gone crazy. Uh, literally, news story oh, yesterday morning, the entire Russian uh, Olympic team may not be allowed to compete. Yeah. Um, I don't know 
how you, the listener, you people out there feel about doping. And quite honestly, I don't care because I know how I feel about it. I feel it's fucking stupid. But it's getting to the point where it's so ridiculous. We're either going to have doping tests and no athletics or we're just going to have athletics because this is this window of time we're in now is ludicrous. It's just silly. Yeah. My opinion, but I, I think that it's being bore out when you are now removing entire nations from the competitive field. Like, it, it, that's insanity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially because I think you'd be, and, and I don't know, I don't think I'm like the pessimist. I don't think I'm a realist, but let's be, let's be honest. Do you seriously think there's a single country out there that's, that's being represented at the games and they could literally say, 100% of our athletes are all clean and have been clean their whole life? Hell no. Well, maybe Ghana or, you know, you know, I don't know. Maybe there might, there might actually be a country, but they have like four competitive athletes at the Olympic I was gonna, level, you know? Okay, let's say, and, let's and say, two of them let's are say a country, you know? yeah, let's say a country that's, uh, that's, you know, top five. But yeah, there's no, G, there's no G20 countries. That, that yeah. are not sponsoring a drug program. It's just stupid to think otherwise. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Actually, in a roundabout way, we might actually, we as the United States might be less culpable because our drug program truly isn't federally sponsored. It's privately funded. Privately, yeah. Yeah, so we, we might actually have the high moral high ground on that ever so slightly. <laughs> Unlike Russia, you know, our, our, our program, as it were, isn't coming down from on high. It's you know, each individual spending their sponsorship money as they see fit. So it's kind of a, kind of weird that there's a felonious high ground there. <laughs> That'll entertain me to my dying day. But anyway, actually, you know what? Um, on this subject, you know what really had me in stitches was a, a conversation you and I had about um, Ilya Illin, and they were going back and like like suspending him or, or charging him for. Sh- if that happened four years ago and eight years ago and 12 years ago, and that they'd like, oh, in reviewing old tests, blah, blah, blah came up, and it's like, not only do I think that's a total waste of time, but when you told me, <laughs> and you, you, you made this point, which was so funny to me, it's like the, just, it's the, it's like the IOC or whoever's doing the testing, just showing just how behind the game ball they are, and just how late to the game they are, it's like, you guys are literally showing, <laughs> How far advanced the the users are ahead of the test takers. If you're admitting that you didn't catch that four years ago and eight years ago, and that it's oh yeah, we we, we just caught wind of it now. I, exactly. I find that a lot of this, you know, they're standing there with their chest puffed up, like oh we caught Lance Armstrong's 2002 drug test, and I'm like, no, really, what you're doing is demonstrating that you are a fucking decade behind the drug users. Yeah. And for some reason, that's sufficient for you to puff up your chest and, and show a measure of pride. Yeah, that's something that I'd be proud of. <laughs> I, I, I agreed. I just, you know, if you're going to take federal money from all these countries around the world and have this wonderful fucking organization dedicated to nothing but, you know, catching and, and preventing drug use, and then your big boast is, oh, we're only 10 years behind the best in the world, well, kind of that kind of sucks, <laughs> you know. When you, when we had the space race with Russia, you know, the the group that was ten years behind, they kept their fucking mouth shut. <laughs> you know, they didn't walk around bragging like, yeah, you know, we we didn't get to the moon, but fuck, we're you know we're like way up, like we could see shit, we're high. You know, <laughs> no, they didn't. 
there. They were quiet. Oh. It's but, fucking you know. ridiculous. It, it is fucking ridiculous. And they're really sad. Now we got USC guys failing, and never mind the fact that they're failing for just dumb shit. Who the fuck fails oh. a drug test for aromatase inhibitor? That's just embarrassing. Right? Anyway, yeah, but anyway uh, I've met Brock Lesnar. He's, he's a fucking third grader with a big water cooler head. He was fucking retard. But anyway, <laughs> that's a separate subject. Uh, well, you know, and then, I don't know, I'm sure, did you see that last? I, I saw something about, like, after John, John, John Jones got suspended and kicked off the 200 card for UFC, that, you know, a week or two later, the UFC decided that, you know, that the substance that he used is, is no longer going to be a banned substance. Well, like, yeah. Well, it's just... Let's just change our minds now. <laughs> we don't want to lose our golden boy. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to belay, turn this into a drug conversation. But you wouldn't believe how many times that bullshit has taken place. The IOC, which now I guess properly referred to as WADA, uh, the World Anti-Doping Association, is the most disreputable, weaselly, dirty son of a bitches on the planet. The, the, the Warren Commission was more fucking honest than those assholes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Let me tell you a little, little, everybody listening, let me tell you, you can all look this up and verify it and check that I'm right. Okay. Ben Johnson failed the drug test for stenozolol. Stenozolol, yep. In 1988. And even that's shady, but I won't even go into the whole shady business. They uh, caught it. One of my favorite he, stories. He, you know, whatever, he admitted it. I used that. Okay, good. They got him. They actually didn't catch him for stenozolol. They caught him for a testosterone to epitestosterone ratio failure. Which is still a failure. It's still bad of him. He should have done better. Anyway, his ratio was 3.5 to 1. The cutoff was 3 to 1. At 3 to 1, anything above 3 to 1 was a failure. He was 3.5 to 1. Fine. They, by the rules, quote, legitimately, big rabbit ears, fucking legitimately caught him. So be it. That was at the summer games, which is roughly now. It's like August Okay. Yeah. Um, I think his race was it in August. It was towards the end of the Olympics. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Okay. That December, the IOC, which was still the IOC then, had their big bi-yearly whatever commune, and they reviewed all their doping policies, and they decided that 3.5 to 1 for the testosterone to testosterone ratio was potentially cause for false positives. And they raised it to five to one. Wow. So wow. the test he failed in August, had he taken it in January, would have been a would have been, good. Would have been beautiful, passing, no issue, no nothing. They ruined that man's life. They literally ruined his life, burnt him down to the to to a crisp. They oh, ruined yeah. that man's life, his livelihood, tainted an entire nation, and then promptly changed rules and said, Yeah, but the next guy's good. It's it's okay. Fuck him, but the next guy. No, that's good. Yeah, that's a lot of that's talk. Actually, shameful. That is, to me, that is far more felonious than a little bit of stenozolol. I, I actually, I, I really like the ESPN 30 for 30 and Ben Johnson uh, 979 asterisk. Um, and I, I watched it two times, and I actually ended up watching it again just the other night because I was bored. Um, so I had it playing in the background while I was getting some work done. And I just, I love that one because, <laughs> like, Ben Johnson, you know, he's being interviewed, and he's like, yeah, when they knocked on my door at, like, four in the morning, I was just like, oh, you got me. Like, so, <laughs> so candid, like, ah, yeah, you got me, whatever, okay, it's about time. 
And then, you know, they have the part about, like, Charlie Francis in there, and they're like, yeah, he's busted for Stanazadol. Stanazadol, Jesus. Um, and, uh, and Charlie's just like, I didn't give him that. Why would I want him with that on race day? That makes him tight. I don't want him tight. Yep. You know, and then even they've got Angela Sajanko on there, and she's like, I have books logging every workout and every drug we've taken for years. And we would never take something on race day. Like we were, we'd been off for, you know, whatever weeks, months already at that point. So like, oh, and ironically, crazy. ironically, and comedically, <clears throat> go back, <clears throat> go back and listen to Alex Harrison's talk on actual, real live speed production, and you'll understand why the, the accumulation and accruation of strength was over. And it was into a new phase that didn't require steroids any longer. Yeah. Literally, the training was designed in such a way that you wouldn't be guilty of that because you didn't need to be guilty of that. Yeah, there wasn't, there it, wasn't a need. It's so succinct and self-fulfilling and wonderful that it just, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an item, no matter how, quote, illegal and wrong it is, as a body of work, it's it's symmetrical and beautiful. And doesn't it just tie in so well with what we were talking about earlier? Block up your year. Block up your microcycle. Whatever you want to call it. Block it up. Get overly strong. Get way stronger than you're going to need to be. And then when it takes time, when it's the time to be fast again, just worry about being fast. That's just go fast. Just go fast. Run, Forrest. Run. Yes. <laughs> you want to know how to get faster? You have to move fast. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Now don't tell me that. You know damn well, well you need to jump up and down with a barbell on your back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> While balancing on a BOSU ball and pinching oh, a strength band between your ass cheeks. Knock it off. I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> I know you don't deserve that. You're, you're a good friend and you don't deserve that, but <laughs> It's still the weekend, okay? I've got like another 12 hours. Leave me alone. But, but I'll be snickering like an asshole. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's you know it's it's one of those things. Oh, you know what else? It's, I'm going to tie this in because this is a, a year in review, and this is something you told me probably a year ago, and I loved it because this is going to tie in perfectly with the Ben Johnson thing. What did he run in high school? Ten two, ten two, and he ran at his best nine seven nine. All of the training, all yep. of the drugs. All of the best coaches, all of the best doctors from high school to Seoul, 10 to 979. Yeah. How much faster did he really get? That's it. That's the point. He That's literally, it. he didn't get a half a second faster. Yeah. What did he do? You look at his pictures from him from high school and a few years after, and then you look at pictures of him in Seoul, Seoul, he was freaking jacked. Oh, my God. Yep. Do you want... I bet I bet he had some pretty high impulses. I bet he had some some pretty high ground force reactions. I bet he could put foot to ground with a lot more force, right? And then yeah, what was he so and and what was he so famous for? For coming off the block like a gun. Well, literally, if you look at Dr. Fred Hatfield's book Power, there's a, Dr. Fred Hatfield wrote a tome called Power, and in that he plots footfalls of Ben Johnson versus Carl Lewis, and he shows very succinctly on a graph that Ben Johnson won the race in the first three footfalls. His, his acceleration in the first three footfalls won the race. Why, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all fuck ages? Because he was strong.
stronger. His strength to weight ratio is superior to that little weasel Carl Lewis. Um, if you look like a fucking lawn dart, you are not a speed strength athlete. There you are. That's it. That's all you need to know. You know? I, I can't help but always roll back in my mind to my favorite comedian, Dennis Leary. Do we need a movie about the doors? No, we don't. Big fat dead guy in a bathtub. There's your title. You don't need to watch the movie. That's it. That's it. You don't, you know, you don't need to know anything more about science or physics or whatever. You got two guys. One looks like a fucking pipe cleaner. One looks like a fucking animal. Guess who's going faster? What was the what was the number I heard floating around? Like Ben Johnson, like a, like a body weight of like 180, 190, and squatting like 600. Um, I know quite specifically. I, I attended a uh, Charlie Francis seminar, and Charlie Francis said very specifically in the off season, Ben Johnson's body weight approached 190. He was yeah, 189, 190 ish. Let's say 190, and he would do five sets of five with 500 pounds in the parallel depth box squat. Yeah, that's strong. <laughs> that's he, he also said that on rare occasions, he allowed him to do full Olympic high bar squats, and he cut him off at 660. Jesus. said, don't, don't, you don't ever go any heavier than that. That's ridiculous. I just, it was cool, but don't do that again. <laughs> okay? That's Olympic lifting caliber weight. A 300K... Oh, yeah. High bar squad at sub 100k body weight. That's bad fuck ass. Triple body weight squatting is well, you're really fucking strong now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, I've got a, I've got a, a friend that was a multinational champion in, in weightlifting, and like as a youth at junior universities, uh, he's been awesome, good friend of mine. And he told me one day we were having, we were training together, and. Uh, he looks at me and he goes, Patrick, I don't care who you are. If the dude is your size and he can squat 600 pounds, I can make him a good weightlifter. Yeah. <laughs> and that is fucking strong. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And, you know, that's something, and, and again, I don't want to rub salt in your wounds because you're working in the scholastic realm, but that's something that's gotten lost is what strong really is. Yeah. I don't know if it's a CrossFit assholes. I don't know what's ruined it. But there are people walking around with their fucking chest puffed up that, you know, oh, I lift weights, I'm strong. And then I actually see what they're doing. Like, if you have a bodyweight bench press, you're not fucking strong. No, I mean... You know, if you... I mean, a double bodyweight squat to me is... Baseline. Okay, you squat. Yeah, that's baseline strength. Yeah, that's like, all right, you're not slothish. I think, but, I think, uh, I think Alice and I actually talked exactly about this. Like, we consider, like, even for, like, females, we, like, female athletes, they should be able to squat two to two and a half times their body weight. Absolutely. Well, you know, my wife, my wife, she's a 40 plus year old housewife. My wife has a 400 pound deadlift. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that to me is what, you know, okay, you lift weights. That's good. Excellent. There are people, I know kids that are playing college football and they, like, oh, yeah, you know, I do a couple of sets with 315 in the squat. I'm like, wow, uh, okay. You know, I really thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, I do a couple of sets of 315 with a high-handled trap bar deadlift. Well, there's that, too. There's definitely that. Yeah. There's a, uh, dumbbell cleans and just ridiculous shit. Oh, I do a 100-pound dumbbell snatch. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 
fuck is that? Yeah. Like, as far as I know, that wasn't even a thing previously. Like, you just made that up so you could have one. But, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I actually had a conversation recently with uh, another D1 sports performance coach, and, you know, uh, it was kind of interesting because we were talking about how I feel like the lines are starting to blur, right, where you have athletic trainer, sports performance coach, uh, physical therapist, doctor, whatever you want to say, and I feel like those lines are starting to blur, and I think it's, especially in a scholastic setting, um, but, but really you could say this about any serious athlete, I think the lines of communication between those different roles need to be open, and, and like they should have good communication if you want to get good results. Everybody needs to know what's going on with the athlete, so you guys can work as a team to get that person better. Now, with all this stuff, and I totally get it, especially when it comes to like scholastic sports and even professional sports, you know, what's, what's one of your first jobs? Like, I've, I've heard this from multiple coaches. Their first responsibility, you know, don't damage the product. Don't hurt the kid. Don't, don't let the kid get injured, right? Because if that's on you, that's on your ass, and, and you're going to get that. But then you're screwed. I understand. I get it. It's about job security. It's, you know, it's about the politics that are involved. All that stuff, I get it. My issue with it is, though, especially with all of this stuff like, oh, functional movement, you know, they have to be able to move, they have to be able to mo- be mobile, you know, we're going to do all this prehab, rehab stuff. Is it important? Yes. At what point, though, can you draw the line in the sand and say, hey, as a sports performance coach, we're going to have some of these correctives, we're going to have some of this prehab stuff and make sure that they can move well. And then at one point, is it like, hey, man, you're overstepping your bounds and that really, if that's an issue, that needs to be addressed with the physical therapist because, to me, sports performance coach still has the word performance in it, and I want to see performance increase. Whatever your objective measurables are that, that you define as an increase in performance, that, to me, is still my job. That's what I care about. And, you know, it kind of, it kind of bugs me because I want to see coaches making athletes into freaks. Like, I want to see people, you know, I want to see people run 979. I want to see people that lift 500 kilos. I want to see overhead presses and 400 pounds of 200 body weight. Like, so, you know what? I think people are just getting a little bit too far away from, hey, we're going to make this person strong. We're going to make this person fast. We're going to make this person bigger. And it's, you know, I just don't feel like there's enough emphasis on that right now. I just feel like that's the trend. Rolling back to Charlie Francis. Rolling back to Charlie Francis. Charlie Francis said, and this was in the 80s. This was like 89 or something when I attended. I was still in high school. So, yeah, it was pre-1990. I graduated high school in 1990. So it was 88 or 89. I attended Charlie Francis seminar. And Charlie Francis very specifically said the trend in strength coaching is that they are conditioning coaches. He said, a true strength coach is somewhere else doing something else. The people that hold the title of strength coach are actually conditioning coaches. They are valuable and usable for general physical preparedness and nothing more. That hurts me. Oh, it pains me. However, I can say this with a straight face, is it at least ekes out a niche for me. At least I have a place to survive. Because I don't give one flying fuck about conditioning. I don't care if you sit and sweat to, to, to eat your last meal. I don't give, you know, I mean, that to me is not it. I want to see people lift up big shit. I want to see absolute raw strength. So 
when you, when people finally realize that they need to be stronger, they call me. So yeah. it, as pathetic as it is, it does in fact eke out eke out a, a, a niche for me to survive it. I was uh, I was actually talking with a collegiate strength coach. Um, where he was talking specifically about basketball at that point, and he was like. I, I, I don't do conditioning. Why do I need to do conditioning with them? They're on the court between practice, between, between, between practices, between one-on-one privates, between pickup games. They're on the court for like easily 10 hours a week. Easily. Like well, what, that's probably what more, wildly underestimating it. Yeah, exactly. So like what, what do you mean? Condition them more? Like how many times do I have to, like how many jumps are they going to take in a practice? How many, how many, how much time are they going to be on the court running around, literally conditioning exactly like the sport is played? He says, I don't need to do that much conditioning with them. It's like I, I, he includes like a little bit of conditioning in a game that they do on the weekends or on, on a Friday. He goes, these guys, especially basketball players that we're talking about, he's like, they need to, A, they need to learn how to fall and like learn like proprioception of their body because they're long limited, you know, baby giraffes on ice and they need to get stronger. So, yep. And, and coincidentally, how did the Soviets deal with that 35 fuck years ago? Weight training and martial arts classes. Wow. Gee, wow. that's weird. The secret Soviet system that beat American basketball. Weight training and karate classes. Why? <laughs> Karate's a great way to figure out where the fuck your hands and feet are. And weight training's a good way to get strong and put on body weight. Basketball oh. is just a sport. <laughs> oh, jeez. Quirky, isn't it? Yeah. And the part that really pains me, and probably you as well, is somehow or another, people forget that this shit's already been figured out. You know, it's yeah. like watching Discovery Channel, and they're always in hushed tones. Like, sometime in 2025, we will go to the moon. I'm like, asshole, we've already been there. We know how. Just open that fucking drawer. Find the plans. Yeah, it's hard. And, you know, actually, I was on the phone with uh, Alex's wife, Michelle, the other day. Um, she, by the way, had, like, just to, just to illustrate how smart that, that couple is, um, <laughs> they, she decided, that, and, and she was, she was doing some, some extremely high level sprinting herself. And I mean, she was a, she was a, a powerhouse little athlete. And, um, she decided that she was going to do a triathlon. And she ended up, like, winning her first two triathlons. And just like, hey, this is how, like, this is how we can approach it from two totally opposite sides of the spectrum. You want to, you want to be a sprinter? We're going to do this. You're going to be a successful sprinter. Well, you, you want to do a triathlon? Okay, well, then we do this. And it's, like, it's already figured out. It's not, it's not news. But, uh, she and I were talking and, and I was just, we were talking about, um, like, Division One track and field, especially because of their background in track and field. I, I said something to the fact that, like, I just, I just can't understand why, you know, collegiate throwers and collegiate sprinters um, are, are are getting weaker. Like, I just don't understand how I'm stronger than them. And she's like, "Yeah, but you're, let's be, let's be real, Patrick. Even you are a little bit of an exception." And I thought about it, and I want to be honest. Am I strong? I'm, I'm pretty strong for my size. Am I successful in my sport? Yeah, sure. It's not, I don't, even the shit that I have to me doesn't register as something that's like astounding. Like, yeah, I'm strong. I'm, I also have a brain. strong. 
Yeah, exactly. I also have half a brain and, and figured out how to train and be successful in the sport that I chose, which also, let's be real, draws from a much smaller pool of athletic prowess than D1 track and field athletes. <laughs> if you want to talk about real athleticism, they've got way better genes than I do. So then I just, it boggles my mind that there are D1, I, I'm, I'm squatting with or out-squatting D1 throwers that have, yeah. you know, tons oh, of body yeah. weight on me. Patrick, you're, you're doing yourself a horrible injustice. You're probably out-squatting a portion of the D1 linemen. In, in yeah. you know, NCAA college football linemen. You, you've probably got centers out there that are, you know, very, very proud of their 600-pound squad. And I'd be suspect of the depth and the quality. And let's remember, they have a body weight of, well, I don't know, 300 pounds, 280 pounds. Yeah, I get it. That's and embarrassing. And you want to make the argument, well, that's because you're a strongman or you're a power lifter or whatever. Regardless, I'm 180 pounds. You should See, still, in my mind, be able to do that. That's what's wrong with people. That's what's wrong with people. Public athletes and everybody in the middle is... Somewhere along the line, it's been lost that we are all the same species. It does not matter what we choose to do. We are the same species. We have the same general morphology, two arms, two legs, fucking pie hole in the front of our face. Everything's the fucking same. And so at some point, there has to be baseline comparisons. You, Patrick, are a professional athlete. You have a triple body weight squad. So all fucktards thereafter should approximately have a triple body weight squad to also call themselves professional athletes. I don't care if you play fucking ping pong or you're an outside linebacker. I want to see about a triple body weight squad or I want you to go the fuck away and do some work before you come back and talk to me. That's how I feel. You can call me an asshole. You can say I'm wrong, but I'm fucking not. <laughs> I'm fucking not. Yeah. You know? The world's strongest man, Patrick Costelli, triple bodyweight squad. World's fastest man, Ben Johnson, triple bodyweight squad. Coincidence? I don't fucking think so. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's quirky. Uh, I you always know? feel better. World I champion powerlifter. Guess what? I had more than a triple bodyweight squad. I don't find that a coincidence. That's what's required to be good. And when ping pong players and badminton players and fucking golfers and all the other fucking half-wit almost sports out there get on that same board, the world will elevate. Things will become amazing, and I will get interested. And I'm a oh, good. stroke. Good. This is exactly what I envisioned our conversation going. I was like, at some point, we're going to get really hopped up on some caffeine, and we're going to hit a, a topic, and he's going to have a rant, and I'm going to love it because it makes me feel better every single time. Cause I I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's, you know, that's the problem. Headline, you know, this world of sensationalized news, that's going to be the headline. Is somewhere, somewhere, I'm going to be at a fucking Starbucks, fucking berating some little fucking vegan, decaf, fucking hemp-wearing, patchouli-smeared little fucking weasel, and I'm going to have a fucking stroke, and I'm going to die. And headline's <laughs> going to read, you know, meaning steroid maniac, berates crazy person, you know, berates like crazy and dies. Steroid's bad. Vegan's good. <sighs> Damn. That's what's going to happen. So when you read about that, remember that I set the stage. Oh, I know. <laughs> but on the other side, the lighter-hearted side, I hate those people with all of my black cardiomyopic heart. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
So we kind of bounced around a little bit. We we picked some <sighs> some stuff in the news in the last year. We've talked about like the direction on where things are going. Um, you know, it's it, it's reassuring to hear that I'm not quite as crazy as I think I am when I get into conversations with guys like you or Harrison or or whatever. It's not. It's not you me. know, I want to make a. And I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. And I want to just throw something out there, something that I don't do nearly enough. Um, you know, I have my own little show here. I have my own little world, and I kind of live in my own little world, and I have great people like you, Patrick, and others come on here, and I never point out the good that's going on. And I want to do that right now. Um, I scour YouTube looking for material, mostly you just to look at things to point at and laugh at and make fun of Dave Palumbo and various other things. But I will say this. I've come across a number of videos by Dr. Mike Isratel lately. Yeah. How is he level-headed, sensible? I mean, 97% of the things that come out of his mouth sound like they're coming from me, which maybe sounds like a little bit of an arrogance, but it just tells me that there's other people that have had different journeys through all this that have come to the same answers. And I, and I love that. And if you're listening out there, tune in to him because it's another source of slightly different wording but very similar material. And maybe it'll just, maybe it'll help. Maybe it'll help you get it and, and just, just get it because there's not enough getting it and he's got it. <laughs> so. Well, you know, it's funny because you even, you said that same thing about Alex at the beginning of this uh, little phone call and, and wouldn't you know it that Alex and Dr. Mike are, uh, are friends and they attended the same university. They went to the same school. You know, uh, how, yeah, I think they're that? both acolytes of Stone. I think they're both Dr. Yeah. Stone guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah from ETSU. Yeah, and, that, and, you know, and that's hard, you know, not to be a good egg if you come out of that, you know, carton. Yeah, so it's just <sighs> kind of funny to me. It's, it's out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not, there's not a lot of secrets. There's just a lot of avoidance and ignorance. Um, you know, yep. I don't, that's something, I need to have a psychiatrist or a psychologist on the show, and maybe they can explain to me why people would rather get their information from, not to bash him, but let's just pull a name out of the hat, like say, Louis Simmons. Why is, why would people rather get their information from a broken down, pagan biker lookalike with no real education or credentials? Rather than take information from you or Alex Harrison or Mike Isratel or Dr. Fred Hatfield, what, what, what is the psychology behind the picking and choosing of information sources? That's something I want to elucidate. That is a really good question, the way that you phrased it there at the end. What, what governs people's selection? And I know there's like crews of marketing teams and psychologists out there that do that kind of shit all the time. So when they make those advertisements, so nice and appealing to the consumers that's like, oh, we're going to pick this because I want this. And I'm sure it's just because of the way it's put in front of them. Because, you know, and, and my girlfriend and I have, have talked about the same thing. It's like, why why don't more people ask guys like me or, or yourself or Harrison for advice or for coaching or for whatever, or consulting? You know, part of it is I'm just not in front of them. And that's, that's on me because I just haven't been doing it. And you know, it's one of those things where, like, if somebody wants my help, you got it. Ask for it, and you shall receive. I'm not going to fucking walk around and, and beg you to come come with me. If you don't want to, that's that's on you. That's your loss. I'm not going to ask you to 
and beg you to come and come. It may just be that. You may be right. It may just be the pandering. Maybe we're just not out pandering for their money. Just, oh, come talk to me. I've got the secret. And maybe that's what it is. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I want your money. I'm just not going to sell out and pour myself out there and, and, and beg for it. I don't want it. You don't, you don't want my help? That's fine. Kind of like, kind of like me and Harrison will just keep winning. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's the part that's frightening is, you know, the names at the top of the list don't change that regularly, but the names of the guys selling the most change regularly. Oh, yeah. That in itself should mean something. It it should. (sighs) But then again, you know, I I deal with the same thing, you know, like, uh, you know, people ask me information about pharmacology and then I reach for the PDR and they get this really bizarre look on their face. No, the people that invented that drug probably know more about it than any douchebag in the gym. So let's see what they have to say. Right. It, I mean, it just seems like such a natural move to me. Do, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, if I want to mm-hmm. know about whatever, I'm going to go to the source. It may not be the final word, but by damn it, that's a good start. It's a great starting point, though. It's really it is. Point. It just is. And anyway, just a different way of thinking. Um, moving on, before a stroke does actually happen. (laughs) Being our very first guest, and now our very first co-host, which is kind of cool, um, Patrick, where are you going? What's what's the next year going to look like for you? One year from now, when we're doing this very show again, what are we going to be talking about? That's the (laughs) the way I want to word it. What crazy shit is Patrick Castelli going to do over the next 12 months that's going to make this show next year? Um, you know, part of me is is a guy that's like, yeah, I'm going to keep my cards kind of close. You know, I remember I had a conversation with uh, Sarge, one of the, the first coaches I found into strong hand, one of the old coaches and training partners of Jesse Marende. Um, and Sarge told me uh, before the Arnold, he goes, uh, he goes, hey, by the way, I love I love all the work that I'm seeing you do on the log press, but maybe you should tone it down a bit, and you don't need to let everybody know what you're doing. I'm like, eh, don't worry about it. They don't know how much my log weighs, and they don't know what I never post the weight. So there's a there's a there's a fine line between you know putting your whole hand on the table, but um and 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 keeping it all to yourself. So I'll tell you the kind of the highlights of what I have in mind. Granted, it can change numerous times between now and then because you don't know what kind of opportunities might come up. I know. Um, so one thing that happened was, uh, actually, oddly enough, Alex thought I was graduating in June. So he kind of reached out to me to see if I was interested in coming and working with him and doing some coaching there. And I was like, well, it would be just for the summer before I go back to finish my master's. Um, so probably not ideal for somebody like him. So, you know, I kind of kept it in the back of my mind. And then an opportunity came up to do some work with, uh, with some D1 uh, programs, which I, which I took up, and that's what I'm doing right now. So I, I moved down the coast, and I'm doing that for a little while, and then I'll definitely be finishing my master's degree in exercise science and sports medicine. Definitely, kind of a cool little snippet I'll throw out there. I'm working on a thesis, and uh, it's basically looking. I had to phrase it appropriately so it'll get passed by the IRB, but. Um, we're going to be looking at the upper tolerable limits of volume load, of total total volume load or total you know, tonnage load, T-load, whatever you want to call it. Um, so doing some research on that, I want to basically find, like, 
If I just the keep fucking up. The ghost of Prilipin. I have <laughs> shivers. Right? <laughs> I want to just take, I want to take a group of athletes or a group of powerlifters or whatever, and I just want to keep bumping up that total volume each week and each week and just go until we see some markers that I'll be collecting, and I just want to see what happens. What kind of numbers can we get before they start to tank? And we're going to be looking at like a small hormone panel. I want to see what happens to their test level, to their cortisol levels, to their, their you know circulating CK levels, uh, maybe myoglobin, I don't know. Um, and then to see as that number goes up and up and up, and then once everything else kind of starts to crash and burn, take that number, and I want to find some kind of correlation anywhere, whether it's like, hey, we can correlate across the board for everybody. It was whatever, a hundred times their squat max for a week or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. So that's a big, a big project of mine for the next, uh, the next twelve months. Finishing so many my questions come. So many questions jump into my mind is while doing that research. My my first question is, you know, at what point does the decrement in performance come in, and then at what point does the decrement in performance indicate a true decrement in prowess because something that most people don't grasp is you can have a physical decrement from week to week to week but still actually be making progress oh yeah once true recovery is implemented well, so, so that's I, a, go ahead. you know my thinking is at what point you know you see a decrement in performance you might even see a decrement in the physical blood panels but at what point does that really manifest itself in true We've crossed the line and can't can't return that because boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, quote overtraining isn't bad as long as over recovering follows. Well, that's, take uh, a moment, absorb that, folks, because it's fucking real. That's a fucking real thing. Oh, it's totally real. I mean, I can firsthand. Uh, the first year I won my national championship, um, I was still working with Joel Jameson, and we came up with this idea that we were going to keep pushing it. We were going to push. The, the, the volume of stimulus like through the roof. We got to um, in a seven-day week. We had one day that was completely off, and of those six days, three of them had trained at least once a day for about three hours, and then the other three days had trained twice a day. Each session was about two hours. Yeah. And was I overtrained? Yeah, I felt like dog shit. Like I was worn down. I was beat up. I was tired. Uh, but that I keep getting better, yeah. And then when I introduced a proper a proper tapering period to over recover, did I perform well? Yeah, I PR'd on just about everything and won my first national championship. It works. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Um, um so that's yeah. that's definitely something I'm excited to be working on and I don't know if I'm gonna publish this part just because it'd be creating a lot more work for me to have to jump through hoops, but at least from a just for the sake of curiosity, I do want to Basically, push them to their upper tolerable limit, and then put in Are a you little. Kidding? That textbook needs to be on my bookshelf next to Dr. Fred Hadfield's book. That you know, a clinical explanation of overreaching. Are you kidding? By Pat Castelli. <laughs> I fucking want that fucker signed. Are you kidding? Oh, dude, I'll give you a first edition. <laughs> That's, come on, a clinical explanation of overreaching in athletics. Come on. Who I wanted, want that. I, I, I want twenty of them. I want to do it, and then I want to, and then I want to throw in at the end of it. I want to be like, okay, we've reached your upper tolerable limit. You are officially dog shit right now. You are done. 
we're going to put in like a little recovery phase, we're going to taper, and then we're going to see how well you rebound, and then like whatever, retest some performance markers and just see how well you bounce back and with the idea of you just crush it. So. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really weird. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it for everybody. You know, I don't want to, the famous line, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to peek at the end of the Bible and find out the devil did it. But, uh, <laughs> yep, a little atheistic humor there. But anyway, yep. um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, br- you know, break the denouement to everyone early, but I bet you the more you practice, the better you get. I, I, I bet you it's in there somewhere. Yep. I, I, I'm just, I, it's a, it's a hunch, but I feel it's gonna happen. But if you could, if you could get that in, you know, peer-reviewed research, you know, then, then like, see, you see, you see, we did it. <laughs> yeah. We have that now. Read it. It's yeah. good. It's good for you. Refer to page 157. Yeah. Each and every morning until you fucking understand it, you numbnut. <laughs> So I I really want to I'm really excited about that project. It, I I can't wait to be um, delved into that 100% come you know September October November. I wanted I can't wait. It's gonna be it's gonna consume my academic life and that's gonna be amazing. Um, so aside from academics for the next year and studies and research all that good stuff, training wise, um, as it stands, I'm I. You know, like I said, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago. I put I put down the implements for the most part and went back to, to basic blocking periods out. You know, I'm in the middle of a six-week hypertrophy block right now where I'm just trying to get as much volume and as much food in me as possible, trying to trying to get ever closer to that 200-pound cannon. Um, we'll see when we'll see when and when and where it happens, and um, and then it'll be a, 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 a prep for uh, Strongman Nationals, which is at the end of October, um, at which point I'm sure I'll go back into like another um, another block, maybe another little hypertrophy block, and then maybe another, you know, max strength block. I like to get overly strong. I like to get really big and then overly strong and then make weight and be strong and specific to the sport. Do the Arnold, um, Arnold World Championships uh, 80 kilos in March. Nothing new there. And then we'll see. I have this um, this idea that I've been flirting with is I I wasn't ready to take a step back from Strongman until I took another crack at both of those titles. Um, and then once I've done that, then I can really address you know full time uh, 90 kilo athlete, which is something I'd I'd like to do. I'd like to start moving up in the weight classes. Um, I have a few more things I want to accomplish. And then another idea that I started playing with just because um, one of my favorite strength athletes of all time that I've always admired was uh, uh, Mikhail <laughs> And just Misha's ability to go from sport to sport to sport. And, okay, he never won WSM. He never won an Olympic gold medal. He, you know, never was a Highland Games world champion or a powerlifting world champion. But that dude... Is up there in every single discipline. Absolutely, everything from the CrossFit Games to the World Powerlifting Championships, he could have been top five. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and that is something to me that 
I love about that man, not just from a performance standpoint, but also from an entertainer. He's an amazing entertainer, uh, a true showman in a sense. And I, and that's the other side of, of the, of the strength athletics that, that kind of speak to me is that it's a strong man show. I want to put on a show. I want people to be entertained. I want people to want to watch because it's freaking cool. They're having fun watching it and they want to see some crazy strong shit. You know, Patrick, I want to interrupt you there and just and, and, and add on to something you're saying. And but let me preface it by saying, you're a fucking great guy to fix this problem. But I did an interview um, just a month ago with Randy Roach, who wrote some excellent books on bodybuilding, the history of yep. bodybuilding, physical yep. culture, as it were. Mm-hmm. And something he really focuses on is the origins of all this was really vaudeville. Strength athletes were quite literally what you said. They were performers. They did a routine, a thing, an organized something to physically impress people. It was a show. And from it came pro wrestling and all sorts of things came from it. But the original origins of all this was a vaudevillian display of human prowess. And because of that, it created a, a, a surgence. People would see the show and go, holy shit, that was fucking cool. And then they would go home and do it. And it created a culture, literally the proper word, a culture of physical prowess. And for some reason, that is gone. Yeah. You can't find somebody giving a talk on strength and performance. Outside of douchey, overpriced, stupid academic realms where they're really just stroking each other's ass cracks, you can't find a dude with muscles and performance and ability to go, you know what? Come in here, I'm going to do some shit that's going to blow you away, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, and, you know, hopefully you can take some of it home and have a good time. You can't find that anymore. It's gone. And it shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. The Internet isn't good at everything, folks. We we need real people doing real shit. Anyway, rant over. I'm sorry. No, no worries. I mean, but that being said, all of that, you know, coming back full circle is, is I, I really want to try and get back to that. I want people to, it's so funny, people are like, there's no money in this sport. There's no money in strength athletics. Yeah, if nobody's watching, then there's no money. Right. <laughs> if nobody cares, it's not going to go anywhere. And that's not anything new. We've talked about that countless times. I know you've talked about that with multiple different guests on your different shows between this one and, and the, the Power Hour. It's nothing new. But I don't yeah. see, I don't see a lot of people making any changes. No. A few. There's a few. There's a few. There's a, no, there are a few. Not, and, and, but not and, enough. And I commend them because they're, they're, you know, they're fighting a good fight. Few and far between. But that being you know, said, I, I want to... It's funny, too, because I hear this one a lot. Well, nobody makes any money in strength sports except Mark Bell. Why do you think <laughs> that is? Take a moment and think about what just came out of your pie hole, asshole. Yeah, exactly. The guy <laughs> with the biggest voice and the best videos and the most activity... You know, is there a reason why Mark Bell and Matt Vincent are all over the Internet? Yeah, it's because right. they're all over the Internet. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, again, it's not a mystery. This shit has been figured out. Media is a pretty well-understood concept, boys and girls. And wouldn't you say that both of them have pretty extreme characters? Wouldn't you say Absolutely. That they, have some, they have some, I'm not saying this in a bad way, this is a compliment. They have some pretty loud Character. That's like, it. Pink socks. Hey, if I knew pink socks would get me fucking over, I'd have pink socks for my fucking ball sack to the top of my head. Yeah. So there you go. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
You know? I mean, Matt, I love your socks, but really, pink socks got you over. <laughs> but hey, it, it, it's something that people can can identify him by. It's, it's a, it. It's like a trademark or whatever you want to call it. The guy in pink socks throws shit really far. That's all yeah. you need to know. It helps to be really good at it, by the way. Cause well, it, 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 you know, it does help to be a fucking world champion and fucking, yeah, exactly. fucking cock and a walk and all that. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a perfect example. I'll never forget. We were at a, a local Sunman contest, and again, same guy, Sarge. And with a name like Sarge, you can only imagine this dude is an ex-Marine. You know, damn near the perfect, perfect, stereotypical drill sergeant if you wanted to create one from, you know, Texas boy chewing you out. Um, and he was, he always makes jokes about uh, heavyweights, particularly amateur heavyweights being fat and slow. And uh, it was some kind of medley, and it had a sled drag in it. You had to, like, run kegs down, put them in the sled, and drag it back, and and this one heavyweight was wearing pink Chuck Taylors. I don't remember who the hell it was. He had bright pink Chuck Taylors. And Sarge is, you know, the MC, and he's just daring this kid. Just like, oh, you want you want to wear pink shoes and get my attention? You got my attention now, boy. Move your fat ass. <laughs> like, if you're going to wear them, you better back them up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, God bless I, you, Matt. God bless you, Matt, for, for backing it up and being a multi-time world champion because you're a badass. Right. You know what? Literally, right now, as we're talking, he's in Scotland kicking ass right now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. This very right moment. Now. Well, actually, this very moment, I'm looking at the clock, he he might actually be drinking a beer right now, which is cool. Which is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, um, but that that signifies that, you know, job well done. So, so here, was my, here was my train of thought, and, I'm, and I don't... I don't care if you call me conceited or cocky for saying this, for anybody listening. The way I look at it is, and, and you can even tie this in with what my friend Mike McCool told me, give me a 600-pound squatter and I'll make him a good weightlifter. I want to start to push that again. I want to I I align myself with the best in the different respective fields. I want to learn as much as possible. Cause that's really what I, what I really want to do. I just want to just keep learning as much as I can because I know there's so much out there that I have questions on. And then I want to say, okay, take 180, 190, a 200 pound, you know, Patrick Castelli, and let's just start, let's just start pushing some limits. Find out how far he can throw. I bet he can yeah. push it a long way. Yeah, I want to, how far can we get this guy to throw something? How much can we get this guy to clean and jerk something? Um, how much can he do in, if he really dedicated himself to his powerlifting for a little while? So, you know, I'll always love Strongman, and I'll probably never be able to back away from it um, completely. Uh, but I, I want to start to push some of those other limits, and I want to see, like, hey, what happens when we take somebody who doesn't train like a jackass and really just starts to apply force with some good technique? And I just want to, I just want to see what happens. You know, it's something that um, the four-hour guy, uh, my brain has stopped working. The four-hour body, four-hour uh, mm-hmm. chef. Oh, it's eluding me. But something he said in one of his little interviews is, how good can he Yeah. As simple as that, how good can a human be? Patrick Castelli is exactly the right guy to find out how good a strength athlete is. That's, uh, that's, those are the questions I, I have. And don't get me wrong. I think, and I know we talked about this one like, you know, months and months and months ago when I was first coming up with ideas for my, my master's thesis. There's so many great people out there doing awesome, awesome research. They want to find out, like, what's the minimum effective dose? Yeah, absolutely important. Super important. What is the, what is the longest lasting effect 
Yeah, if I if I induce this, how long are those effects going to last? Absolutely important. Cool. But I'm still always going to be fascinated by how far can we take it? Right. That to me that's that's always going to be my my number one curiosity. I want to I want to push the limits. And it's like we said, who doesn't want to see a 500 kilo deadlift? Who doesn't want to see 400 pound overhead presses in middleweight? That's but, it. I, that to me is, and it's one of not how you're going to bring attention to the sport. There it is, folks. Yeah, I, I can tell you with an absolute straight face that I waited with bated breath my entire lifetime to see a thousand pound raw squat. The fact that it happened during my lifetime is one of the true fulfilling things that's ever happened. I mean, obviously I would have wanted it to be me, but since <laughs> that didn't work out, I still, I'm still so glad I got to see it. Yeah. yeah but, I, mean, I mean, how how hollow would it have been to live my entire whatever seventy or eighty years and never see a thousand pound raw squat? Like, mm-hmm. can you think about how depressing and and deplorable that would have been? What would have been the point to suffer this fucking bullshit for eighty years and not get to see that? Think that. Yeah. that that's awful. Yeah, that would suck. And that's what I want. And I, I want to see. But, but now I, I just... want to see four hundred pound athletes. You know, not just Brian Shaw. I want to see a fleet of them. I, I'm, I'm right with you there, and now I'm just going to take it one step further. Maybe it's just because I'm still young and dumb, but I want to try and do as many of those things as possible. I I want to be Absolutely. a decorated strongman. I want to be a decorated powerlifter. I want to be a de- you know, a, a decorated thrower, a decorated uh, weightlifter. And public speaker. Yeah, why not? And showman. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then the door, and people, oh, well, there's no money in strength for it. There's no nothing. Wait a minute. Hathor Bjornsson's a fucking Hollywood actor for no other reason than because he's an awesome fucking athlete. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's not impossible. It's not impossible, folks. It's just hard. And goddamn yeah, exactly. it, I'm glad it is. Because it Me keeps too. the fucktards out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, am I, am I always going to have a day job? Yeah, probably. But am I going to chase all those things regardless? Yeah, till I die. <laughs> and you know what? Like we talked about, I want to, I want to have a four, four times body weight raw deadlift. <laughs> am I crazy? <laughs> Goddamn right I am. <laughs> why? Why wouldn't? Awesome. But that's awesome. We need that. You know, well, somebody other than Eddie Cohn has to do that. You should be that yeah. guy. Why not? You should be that guy. Why not? <sighs> I got that. Well, so, that covers that covers for the most part the the, the, the coming year of Pacastelli, mostly yeah, academic yeah. and and uh, eating food and lifting weights. Yeah, not academic, all, not all bad food. shit. Yeah, um, real quick, real quick, I'd like to throw in, not known necessarily for me because I'll just always be the same curmudgeon, angry <laughs> voice <laughs> on the radio. I'm not going to change particularly much. Um, but for sports performance radio. I really, I know, and this sounds a little conceited, but I don't want to change a thing. I want to continue to have awesome guests with really awesome views on the world of strength. I want to continue to learn stuff and meet people and build the network and get the word out that we figured it out, folks. You just need to fucking do it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. That's, uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I wouldn't ask you to change a thing about sports performance radio. I've been loving it. I've been keeping up with all the episodes, and, and I do really think it's, it's getting better and better because it's getting bigger and getting amazing guests. Like, damn, some of the guys, 
and topics that you've been covering has just been awesome. I just want more people to get in on it. It's like, would you listen to this? <laughs> Every little bit. Just, you know, it's just chipping at the stone. I really believe that the secret is, just like I believed when I was competitive powerlifter, just don't quit. Just don't quit. Just keep doing it. You'll, you'll either, you know, you'll either win or break. Just keep doing it. So that's how I'm approaching my, my post-career radio, you know, attitude is just, I'm just going to keep doing it. People yeah. are either going to listen or they're not. People are either going to learn or they're not. And I'm either going to learn or not. And that's it. So having okay. said that, that's what happened the last year. That's what we hope to happen the coming year. Something that I always do is just kind of salivate over my guests. But Patrick, you were the perfect person to start this with. You're absolutely the perfect person to close it out with. I couldn't imagine not having you as a friend, and I couldn't imagine you not being out there preaching the word and doing the business. I really appreciate that you are doing what you do. So I don't know what more to say on that. I mean, it's just, there's just not enough of you in the world, and I'm thankful for what we've got. Me too. With, with that, is there anything you want to say before we sign off, my friend? Oh, shoot, man. Just thanks for having me back, and thanks for thanks for having my back, and always, uh, you know, even if it means I have to induce small strokes, thank you for <laughs> always, always telling me that I'm I'm going the right way, because it's, it's definitely reassuring. <laughs> so, yeah, other than that, I'm just going to say, I'm with you. Just don't quit. Keep pushing it. That's it. That's, that's the limit. Well, one year down, another year coming. God damn it, I won't quit. I know you won't, Pat. So, listeners out there, thank you for a year of Sports Performance Radio. I hope you're ready to consume another year. And with that, see you next month. Thank you for listening to Sports Performance Radio. Thank you.